Welcome to the Metaversible Podcast, chronicling the journey of reaching the metaverse through blockchain, digital art, and virtual reality. Welcome back to the Metaversible Podcast, where we explore the art and science of the metaverse, this digital world in which we live. As always, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Cochran, and I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, Ron Eddings. Glad to be back in the metaverse. And we are about to take the red pill and dive back in. Who do we have with us today, Ron? Today, we have a friend, almost like a family member at this point, as much work as we've been doing together. We have Jackie Singh. Jackie is a fellow member of the cybersecurity industry and also a figure in the blockchain industry as well. Jackie, welcome to the Metaversible Podcast. Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me. Jackie, we've talked to a few people already about their journey into the metaverse, and it seems like you're one of the folks that have dived the deepest. Would love to hear where this really began for you and how it's going today. Tell us a little bit about the journey. Oh, boy. Well, thank you so much again for having me. This is exciting. Previously, um, I was at a few large companies like um, Intel and McAfee, where I led incident response work, which is the work that gets done when companies have their hair on fire. They're having the worst day of their lives, having a major cybersecurity incident. And um, you know, I, I previously worked on the campaign to elect Joe Biden as a cybersecurity staffer in 2020, and now as a director of tech and operations at a civil rights NGO. Yeah, I recently joined the Metaversible Project because I became interested in the security state of the ecosystem all the way back in 2017. Around that time, I had started my own business with a partner, Jason Shore, and uh, we were doing cybersecurity, boutique cybersecurity consulting, you know, just a couple people in a shop bringing in a few extra hands when needed. And we really got excited by the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry at that time, right? In 2017 and 2018, there was this big surge of interest in that business and what applications were coming out of this new blockchain technology. And so we attended a lot of events and spent a lot of time getting integrated. But in the end, we kind of stepped out because we didn't know where our place was. You know, we actually had an offer from one of our first customers who is a cryptocurrency genius. <laughs> he is a he is a man who came from the world of traditional banking and decided to get into cryptocurrency. And he offered us uh, money for our business. And at the time, we just thought we didn't want to be in the cryptocurrency business. We were in the cybersecurity business. And uh, we, we came to realize that um, it was just much more exciting to look at cybersecurity from a blockchain perspective than it was to try to apply traditional cybersecurity or information security to what everyone was doing in the blockchain space. So we started a group called CryptoDefense.io, and we spent a ton of time just learning more and more about what blockchain security really is and what that means. That is great. And it's always like we're evolving and learning more anyways. Like even if you were to take that opportunity years ago, it would still be down the same path of learning how to fit cybersecurity into the blockchain and really how to fit safety and security into the blockchain. And I know that's one of the topics that you've been speaking quite a bit about is why we need safety of the 
blockchain ecosystem. And I think that's also where Metaversible, the project, fits in. Can you talk a bit about why this safety is needed and where are some of the gaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I recently joined the Metaversible project because I became interested in what folks were doing in Solana specifically. The Solana ecosystem implemented smart contracts, and that's led to an explosion of decentralized finance and all of these different cool things that you can do. And one of those really interesting things you can do in the Solana ecosystem is interact with NFTs. You can buy them and you can do things with them and you can sell them. And so my partner decided that he was going to buy an NFT and then he bought a few more and then a few more. And to be <laughs> honest, I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't <laughs> sure what he was doing. <laughs> and, you know, it sounded like a lot of money, a head scratchingly amount, like large amount of money. And I didn't understand why anyone would want to pay, you know, $100 for um, what is essentially a, a JPEG or, you know, an image or a video or something like that. And um, I watched and watched and learned a little bit more through him because he just wouldn't stop talking about it and eventually decided to buy my own. And just having spent some time, you know, and, and really when I say some time, an, an OG in this ecosystem has been around for three months. Right. <laughs> right. After spending some time around folks who are transacting every day and learning more and more about the space, I came to realize that you know, when we're operating in a decentralized context and we're transacting with other people that are far away from us using code, and we decide that we're going to do away with traditional bankers, we're going to decide we just don't need those. We don't need the middlemen. We're going to try to work things out together mediated by code. You really need to make sure that you have a lot of trust in the ecosystem, right? As people, as human beings, we need trust in order to transact safely. And so I see the the evolution of the space as, you know, over time, it's going to look a lot more like traditional banking as the user experience improves and it becomes less of a, of a technical feat to become involved and to start companies on this, uh, on these blockchain layers. We're going to start to see this look a lot more like traditional banking, but in order to do that, we have to increase trust. We have to make sure that people feel safe sending and receiving real sums of money over, you know, kind of what is a faceless interface potentially, right? I mean, that's really the promise of decentralization is that we can work with each other kind of like um, a hive mind without having to put certain people in positions of trust in between us in order to achieve that. You know, when I first heard about cryptocurrency and people were investing, even my dad invested in cryptocurrency before I did, I kind of felt like it was almost like penny stocks, for lack of a better term. I almost felt like people were just betting in little things. And if one hits big, you're, you're happy. But if you made a bunch of small bets, there's no big deal. But I feel like really with this, with this NFT shift, something is happening, at least for me. I'm sure for other people, they've been on the train, they've been on the cryptocurrency chain, they've been on the the blockchain train. But now I feel like it's something real, at least for me. Why Solana of all the cryptocurrencies out there? What makes Solana different than some of the other things? And, and why is that becoming such an ecosystem for artists? Oh, that's a great question. So essentially, um, you know, Bitcoin is the granddaddy of all the of all the cryptocurrencies, right? It came out in 2009. And soon after the release of Bitcoin, we 
had Ethereum. Ethereum is essentially a progenitor to Solana in terms of the NFT ecosystem. They have their own. The problems with Ethereum are that it runs on a proof of work, not a proof of stake consensus mechanism, which means in you know non-geek terms, that means they use more computing power and they're less green. Also, it means that at times, maybe when the network is very busy, your gas fees, meaning the amount of money that it costs you, the amount of Ethereum it costs you to make a transaction on the network, because remember, we don't have bankers anymore, but we still have to pay the network a small fee to move our money in order to keep everything moving, right? It's just right. a lot less than what a banker would need with a big building and you know an office full of folks. When we're looking to shift to a blockchain that has the same amount of computing power and capabilities, but is more green and has less gas costs, well, Solana really shows up as a shining star there. And one of the reasons for that, and really the, the major reason for that is because the Solana ecosystem has a smart contract layer. And those smart contracts, you'll hear this term again and again, smart contracts are really the code that makes all of this stuff work. The Solana blockchain is also very fast. It is extremely performant. It is inexpensive and it is green because it runs on that proof of stake consensus mechanism. And so everyone is looking uh, for how to reduce their carbon footprint these days. And folks who use cryptocurrencies are no exception. Generally speaking, we all want to do what's good for the earth. And we don't want to use currencies that are going to put greenhouse gases in the air. That's just not what we're trying to do here. So with that said, Solana becomes a better and better choice and the ability to encode smart contracts to help us make transactions and to govern how things work really take this to the next level, right? right. If you as an artist are able to say, I'm creating this new piece of art, this new artwork, this incredible artwork that I love and I think is really cool. And I'm in sending it up to the blockchain with the stipulation that the royalty on that artwork should be 5%. This means that every time that artwork changes hands, I, as the original creator, now make 5% of whatever the total was on that sale. And that's an absolute game changer for an artist. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are so excited to be doing this because they were making art. But the old idea of a starving artist is something that we all know about because artists aren't traditionally compensated for their work very much, even though we all enjoy it. Right. So the NFT ecosystem running on top of smart contracts, which can govern things like making sure artists get that cut, really just brings us closer to a future where there are all types of middlemen that we don't need to have involved in our affair, shall we say. <laughs> That's so true. And it makes me think, right, an artist will put out a piece of art and years later they might become famous, but they sold that original piece of art for $100, but now it's going for $100,000. When that, So disappointing. Exactly. When that original buyer sells it, the artist doesn't really get any of that benefit besides maybe some name recognition. They might not even be alive anymore. And, you know, the people that are, they were supporting aren't really getting any of those proceeds anymore. Absolutely. And I, I think throughout history, we've just heard so many stories of the artist who died without any recognition. And, 
you know, they became something so much bigger than they were when they were alive. And in this case, you know, artists have the opportunity to receive the royalties on their work that they should be entitled to, not just for, you know, an artwork that's um, that's a JPEG or, you know, a video or an audio file, like a song, right? So this really just opens the door for a new wave of possibilities for how folks do business. And this is going to dramatically change some industries. So you just named two use cases. One was the smart contracts, having the ability to use programming to set conditions on how transactions work. And also the NFTs, the artwork behind it, you know, having the ability to to receive some compensation based off of your royalties. And I'll be honest, I do have FOMO. I had FOMO since day one, (laughs) since I learned about crypto. I learned about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I was like, I have to buy a little bit of everything. And when I bought, I did not really understand the use cases like you're describing, the smart contracts, the NFT opportunities. But I think there's way more opportunities that we even realize, at least the person like me that's just buying the coin. What other use cases do you see today and even in the future as we get further entrenched into this concept of the metaverse? Oh, wow. It's really it's really limitless. I mean, when you think about any type of human transaction that is normally done face-to-face and person-to-person because you really need to feel trust in the person you're buying from or the trust in the person you're selling to, that's a game changer for anything in those industries. So our opportunity at Metaversable is to help increase trust in the ecosystem by creating trust through our own verification of wallets and projects, right? So it would be incredibly useful to know who it is that you're talking to and to be sure that you're speaking to the person or, you know, really the smart contract that you intend to speak with, right? It it would be something like having a verification badge on Twitter where you know that if you send a DM to your bank, you are actually interacting with an account that belongs to your bank. That's really the purpose behind that verification badge. And so we would love the opportunity to do something similar in the Solana ecosystem and potentially the the wider NFT ecosystem by providing a verification layer that allows folks to trust each other when they're transacting. When you talk about trust, it's a very human concept because machines, they can trust whatever, no big deal. People talk about zero trust networking. But when you talk about true trust, it's really person to person, if I have to be honest. And one of the things that I found fascinating about this NFT realm, your partner, Jason, actually gave me my first NFT. And once he gave me that NFT, it gave me access to a community. And I was able to see other people that were in that community and see what they were thinking about and talking about. And that's really where trust comes into play, because you have these weird scenarios where there are people looking to scam people out of money. But when you do any type of research into these people, into their groups, you see that there is no love there. Almost like when you go to a nice restaurant, you can taste the love and the thoughtfulness when it comes out from the chef because they've spent a lifetime dedicated to their craft and they want to give the experience of a lifetime to whoever is buying that food. From your perspective, what has the the trust been like in the communities that you've joined? What is special about the communities in the NFT space and even the Solana space? 
Oh, wow. Um, these communities are so welcoming. Um, that's really one of the biggest changes that I could point out coming from the, the world of information security, where we're pretty dry. <laughs> we could be a pretty dry people. And so really appreciating the spirit of open sharing, knowledge sharing, and how people are so open with each other and willing to share about their experiences and what works for them and what doesn't. And they're, they're just kind. Um, and it is true that you really can see the differences in certain communities based on the culture that has been established by that project. And so in this case, when we're talking about a project that has a, a discord like that, we're usually referring to a, a PFP, meaning a profile pick project where a project will release, you know, 10,000, 5,000 or so avatars, which they worked with an artist to create and then assembled with the help of a computer. And so each avatar has its own style. It has its own look. It has its own combination of traits, which may or may not be more or less rare in that ecosystem because the traits aren't distributed evenly by the computer. And so, you know, as with anything in life, the things that are the most rare are often the most valuable. We see that repeated again in the NFT ecosystem. And if you're someone who hears about a project and decides, wow, that's something I might want to be a part of, when you get involved early on during the mint, when those NFTs are essentially generated for you on demand, once you click the button and pay the fee, you're essentially transported inside one of these communities, right? And you can scope them out ahead of time and you can get a look as to what they're like and what they're promoting and what the goals are for that organization, right? It's like anything in life. When you look to join a club or you want to go to a meetup or, you know, you're, you're looking to uh, join a new workplace or any, really anything, any group of humans that are trying to accomplish something or together for some purpose, you want to vet that group and you want to know what they're about and what their values are. So you really do get a sense of that when you join different communities and deciding to buy an NFT and participate in a particular community. You know, there are only so many that you can really keep track of and spend time with. And some folks only ever participate in one community at a time, and that's what they do. And uh, people are making real relationships here, right? Relationships that transcend the internet and um are in the real world. Case in point, we went to a Solana meetup in New York City and in, in Manhattan a few weeks ago and were shocked, absolutely shocked when we got there that the line was all the way down the street, which, you know, at uh, five o'clock in the afternoon in Manhattan is not very common. And um, it was just a great group of people. It was a great crowd of people who are all openly sharing and just really excited to be in the same space with each other. And um, some folks were trading technical tips and other folks were talking about the art and, you know, where their inspiration comes from and what artists they work with. And, you know, it just seems like a really vibrant and happening scene. And I think everyone's looking for something new to do and a new way to connect after, you know, the, the, the prolonged pandemic that we've been under. So it's just been a real breath of fresh air. Definitely. I love everything that's going on in this space. It's a new way to think. It's a new way to operate. I, I believe like the old paradigms of work, money, and even transactions don't necessarily scale for our futures. We need new ways to do different types of transactions. There's so many more conditions that we face as a working and gig economy group of people. And I have some guilty knowledge about your relationship with NFT. I know that you said when Jason first bought his few pieces of art, you were a little skeptical and reluctant. 
but you ultimately went ahead and bought your first piece of NFT art. What was that like? What was that experience like? And what did that mean for you to purchase your first NFT? <laughs> just thinking back on it, you know, it was it was all of three months ago, right? But just, you know, thinking back on it, maybe, maybe even as recently as two months ago. It's just, I'm reflecting because it's so wild how quickly the space is moving and how much transforms every day and every week. It's just an incredible amount of um, love and support and attention that a lot of people are putting into it. And a lot of those people have serious software engineering chops. So it's really been exciting. When I got in, I got in because of the Piggy Soul Gang. <laughs> and they a lot of these projects have the name Soul, S-O-L, in their name somewhere in order to indicate that they're a Solana project. Right. And what these are are pigs. They're, <laughs> they're a series of 10,000 pigs. And I think their tagline is 10,000 cute and cruel piggies living on Solana lands. And <laughs> there was just something so adorable about these avatars. And, you know, these, these profile pics are so varied and they all have so many different attributes that it becomes fun to look through them and to find one that really represents you. And I found one and I was excited and I did some looking up on a rarity chart, which is a chart that projects tend to release when they have some good statistical information about how the traits are distributed in their project. So, you know, in my case, I was able to find out that my piggy with googly-eyed glasses was very rare. <laughs> and I mm. was very excited <laughs> by my very rare pig. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I'm sure you can hear it, right? Just in the, 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 my tone of voice is changing and I'm just like giggling like a schoolgirl because it's just cute. And I felt an affinity for it. And that was my first piggy, but not my last piggy. Um, I actually flipped that one. I sold it for uh, five and a half times what I bought it. You sold the piggy? Your favorite one? I sold one? the piggy. <laughs> I sold the piggy. And you know what? Um, I was really sad. I actually um, was rushing to unlist it because I heard that there was a rush on piggies and someone was buying them up. <laughs> and I rushed to unlist my piggy from the marketplace. And by the time I got there, I was 30 minutes too late. And, you know, like when in life can you realize a 10x appreciation or, you know, in my case, a five and a half time appreciation on an investment that you just made like a week ago and then be sad to lose it. Right. It didn't make sense. You know, I was, I was looking at my wallet and I was just kind of bereft. Uh, and you know, it wasn't, it's not normal for me to make that kind of money on an investment. So it was really exciting at, at the same time. One thing that you were talking about with the rarity of that, that piece of artwork, I looked at mine and what was cool about mine wasn't so much that it was rare. I think it was like in the top 30% or something like that. But what was cool is it had a headset. And what for me, what that meant was, you know, I do something in audio, right? I'm sure they weren't even thinking about making the NFTs say, oh, I do podcasting or anything like that. But for me, it meant something. And someone said that the true value of art is really what someone's willing to pay for it. How do you feel about the the economy of NFTs and NFT art? What is what goes through your mind and what do you see in the future for the space? Well, having seen a lot of um, art shows, uh, you know, like everyone, I watch Antiques Roadshow, for example, right, where we get to find out that the piece of art that Grandma Gertrude had in her closet for the past 70 years is actually, you know, a Rembrandt. <laughs> And, and something that really struck me when I joined the block, blockchain space and just learned more about Solana 
um, NFTs in general, is that provenance is often such a heavily contested thing in the art world, right? And you have folks whose job it is is to try to forge these really expensive artworks in order to pass them off as, as real paintings and to command a high price for them, to fetch a super high price for this fake artwork that then becomes worthless upon discovery of its falseness. And so in, in the case of artworks that begin their life on the blockchain, when artists decide to mint on the blockchain, and that's the first place that that artwork has ever lived, you now have a permanent opportunity to establish its provenance as it shifts from person to person. We have a ledger and we know wh which wallets it trans transacted across and you know what someone paid for them. And we also know that it is the indeed the genuine unique artwork. And so as we shift more and more of our lives from the physical world to the digital world, and we start to interact in this world called the metaverse, we're going to need more and more digital assets for the metaverse, right? Just as we've seen in video games where folks are buying add-ons in order to make their armor look cool or whatever kit it is they have in the game to increase their opportunity against enemies or to whatever to make their stats better, you know, we're going to see some of that shift over to the NFT space as well. It's really just a logical extension of what we've already been doing in gaming for the past, um, you know, 15 years. That's incredible. And, you know, it makes me think, it makes me think that even as young as this world is, as the metaverse is, as NFT art is, I still feel like I got in too late. So for the folks that are listening right now that are on the fence about whether to jump in headfirst into this world or even dip their toe in, what is that one piece of wisdom that you'd like to convey to them to inspire them to enter? I hope that everybody listening to this isn't going to feel like a dummy in 15 years when they'll be telling all their friends and coworkers that they should have bought in <laughs> because I hear these stories a lot from the older generation. Oh boy, if I had bought that Microsoft stock, right? You know, <laughs> where would I be now? You know, and it, it really is like that. You, you do have to find, identify and uh, jump for opportunities in life. And you know, what we hope to do at Metaversable is just to make that safe so that everyone can have a good time in the metaverse. I couldn't have said it better myself, and I really hope that inspires people to at least do some research and look into this world. We kept it pretty vague about the Metaversible project, so if you're listening to this, more than likely it is live at metaversible.io, so go check it out. We're going to drop it into the show notes down below. But Jackie, for the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? Hey, I can be followed on Twitter. I'm at hacking, but legal. <laughs> and uh, I am definitely on the metaversable discord. So get on there. Yes. Join the discord. Check out Jackie's on social and we'll be sure to drop those in the show notes also. And we'll see everyone on the next metaversable podcast episode. Thank you so much.